Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. Not long after our previous edition of the Baseball America Podcast. J.J. Cooper here. John Manuel. We're going to talk more World Baseball Classic. An hour is not enough for us when we're talking about World Baseball Classic. Five hours may not be enough for us when we're talking about World Baseball Classic. We won't give you a five-hour podcast today, though. We promise. We promise. But we do now. We recorded yesterday. We talked about the U- the U.S. team, the Cuban team rosters, which have been announced. Now we have the preliminary rosters for all 16 teams. So we did want to give you a little bit more WBC talk because, to be honest, these are the more interesting rosters in many ways. In a lot of ways they are. And, uh, and, and the other part of this is, J.J., we're still going to find out more. We're going to find out more as we work toward our preview in mid-February about uh, you know talking to more scouts about Japan, Korea. Um, it's hard to ask about the lineups and the rosters when you don't have them. Mm-hmm. So I've made a couple calls already on these things and sent out a couple of emails. But now that we have rosters, we'll find out more information. So I know I had higher expectations for, say, Team China. You know, I've been in touch with the guys with Team China. We really thought. Yeah, I've got to write that story, and I was waiting. Now the yeah. roster, I have the roster. doesn't help you a whole lot, to be honest It doesn't help you. I really thought that Team China was going to have uh, more players. The plan, as I'd been told, was that China was going to try to have more players, uh, a passport team, Chinese uh, players who are American or Canadian or whatever, Panamanian, as the case may be, who are of Chinese des- descent. They got two of those, Ray Chang and Bruce Chen. And Ray Chang, a Chinese Team China veteran. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I, I want to say he's played. I want to say he's played before for them at some point. For some reason, every time I see Ray Chang, I think of Hi, I'm Donna Chang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I always wonder if it's like Seinfeld, Donna Chang'stein, or something like that. No, I, I see Ray Chang. I'm like, you're Chinese. But no, I Ray can't do an Estelle Costanza impersonation. But no, I, I want to say that he was on the. Uh, 2000 and was like the he was Olympic on a, team or maybe the Olympic team or he was on some team I want to say before but but you know I thought they were going to have more players like Ray Chang on this team but they didn't uh, but they are managed by an ex big league manager and John McLaren uh, they do have Bruce Hurst as their pitching coach but so they were going to be a heavy underdog at that they're fourth out of four for me in that in that uh, pool so JJ we could do this one of two ways or there are several ways we could do it I was thinking we could go. Uh, least interesting to most interesting or some such, or we could just go by pools. And the first pool is that pool that has China in it. March 2nd is when uh, that pool begins. We've already talked about Cuba. Want to talk about Brazil and Japan? Yeah, let's do that because I think, I mean, I, I clearly, Kate, all these pools, two teams come out. Right. Four teams enter, two teams leave. Let's just say that it's safe to say that, that this is arranged in a way There'll be some really interesting Cuba-Japan game, you know, an interesting Cuba-Japan game. At the same time, if those two teams do not come out of this pool, it would be an epic upset. It would be the. It would be the. I would say it would be the biggest upset in World Baseball Classic history. It'd be the biggest upset in international baseball history if Cuba and Japan don't come out of this pool. Uh, Because it makes sense. China makes sense for geography, and you know, rivalry with Japan. Uh, Brazil makes sense because there are. I didn't even count up the number of players, but there's several players on the Brazilian team 
who play in Nippon professional baseball. And then obviously Cuba, you know, makes well, they not, wanted to be sent to Japan. Not only that, there's not not in just the you know in the MPB, but also in the Japanese industrial leagues. Right, right. There are Japanese industrial leaguers. They're, they're One, two, three, four, five, six Japanese right. industrial leaguers. So they're, that's they're, as we've talked about before with regard to Brazilian baseball. Uh, I'll never forget. I knew nothing about Brazilian baseball. I'll never forget riding the bus with Team USA at the 1999 Pan Am Games from Winnipeg to Stonewall. In Alberta, which was where not Alberta, Manitoba, which is where uh, you know this one of this one game it was the B site for the Pan Am Games, and that's where Team USA played Brazil, and it was at this like high school field, and I remember I was sitting behind Eric Kubota, who was helping me, giving me some scouting information. He was the international scout for the uh, A's at the time, and I was sitting with the scouts covering the game. It was like high school bleachers, and there's Ryan Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> and he's pitching for, uh, the Mariners prospect and, and now chef. Has he, how has this guy not been on top chef yet? Come on, let's get Ryan Anderson on there. But we have Ryan Anderson pitching to these, and all the Brazilian players were of Japanese descent. And it just I ended up doing a whole sidebar on it afterwards. I, I just I had no, no clue. Um, but Brazil, to me, JJ, there's two things here. Number one, I think it's a shame that people aren't going to notice Brazil in this WBC. I don't think people are going to. They're not going to get a much chance to notice to because they're going to play at four in the morning. And, right. You know, again, and quickly get blown out. Right. And then second of all, I really think this goes back again to what we talked about in the last podcast, where, you know, if MLB, to me, it feels like MLB is making effort, but I don't feel like they're really a hundred percent committed to making the WBC as competitive and as good of a tournament as they can. Because if they were, they would have told Jan Gomes, look, dude, you need to go to this event. You're going to go to Japan. But because they're in Japan, I really feel like, you know, Jan Gomes is the born in Sao Paulo, moved to the United States when he was 12, first Brazilian-born player to reach the major leagues. Um, and, and now and he, he had the game-winning RBI in the qualifier championship game against Panama. And he's not on this team for the for the classic proper. And essentially, I read a story from this week, I think it was on MLB.com, where Jan Gomes essentially said, you know, I got traded. I'm in a new organization. I kind of need to make a new an impression. And this is all the way in Japan. And if he went to Japan and then came back, you know, you're missing basically two weeks probably, uh, late February, early March. And he's a catcher as well. So catchers can report even earlier. It would really hinder his chances of making the Indians' big league roster, and, and so he decided that he had to not and attend. And that—that's a killer for Brazil. I'm not saying that he makes a difference in them going on or not, but he does make a big difference in them being competitive or not. He's their best player. He's their best player, and to me, if you want to make this event a, a proper event, you have to make sure you have to lean on the Indians and say. Don't cost this guy a job because he's going to Japan. But, but the, I, I don't the, know how you do that. I don't know how you do that though, because the tough either. about it is, is that you, for for one thing, if you're him, is your catcher, and you've got to learn new pitchers that you're right. working with. Absolutely. If you say, okay, sorry, those two weeks are out. You hey, know? I know you haven't been here for three weeks, but here, go catch Trevor Bauer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you need it's those. Not easy. You need those innings. You need those. You know, those at bats. You need all that, and especially again, if you're you're not talking about. If he was back with the Blue Jays for another year, it is a little different. And then it's like they can kind of tell him, hey, we know what you are. You right. Know, don't right. worry. Go go lead Team Brazil. That's right. It's a different story when you say, we don't know who you are. We, you're, a new, you're a new acquisition for us. And the reality is, is that if you're a new acquisition, Jan Gomes is a fringe big leaguer. Correct. Those are the guys 
Those the, are the guys much more than when you, you know. them a half million dollars. Right. You can't I mean, do that. You can't do that if you're Jan Gomes. It's a, having the tournament in March, I understand why they have it in March, but Jan Gomes is a great example of why the time of year for this sucks. I mean, just he's a great example of it. So, so Brazil has the guys back who, if you watch them in the qualifier against Panama, Raul Fernandez, he started and pitched six innings, shot out innings against Panama. He's back. Murilo Gouveia, he was pitched two-plus innings in that game. Uh, Astros farmhand, he's back. Uh, my boy Diago Vera, you know, striking out Ruben Rivera and Carlos Lee back-to-back with nothing but fastballs. He's back. Um, you, you know, you recognize some of the names, Paolo Orlando and uh, Andre Rienzo. But, I, uh, but without their big leaguer, he's their one guy. Just It's just they're, it, it's less interesting, but I'm still compelled by Brazil, by the story and by the potential of Brazil as a future baseball country. Also, I, I do think there's also there are going to be guys for whom the WBC could be big just because it's a bigger stage. Right. You know, and and I do think that Andre uh, Rienzo is one of those guys who has enough stuff. Like th- this could be a situation if he gets to, uh, a couple of key innings against a Cuba or a Japan. Yeah, that could actually Just speed up his that, timetable a little right. bit because it's like, oh, well, look, in a pressure patch situation, look what he did. You know what? Maybe we can look at him having a little bit bigger role a little sooner than we thought. And let's face it, the other the other uh, awesome guy in here is Luis Gohara. I mean, uh, 17-year-old Mariners prospect. What did he get, $800,000 last year? Uh, this guy, you know, talking to Ben Battler about this, you know, Ben's down in the uh, Dominican Republic right now. But, uh, you know, Ben said, you know, Luis Gohara could be like a Pied Piper. You come to you, – you went to Brazil, and he already was. You'd go to Brazil to scout him, and you wind up signing other player mm-hmm. for $10,000, $20,000, $30,000. And that's how baseball in Brazil gets bigger and, and gains a foothold and – because ways especially that they have if one of those guys, because, I mean, this is how it works everywhere else. If one of those ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 guys ended up being a guy, right. then it means, then it's in, it makes it, hey, you know what? I need to make a couple more trips back there because right. I need it, to find more guys. And Gohar actually is only 16. I mean, he's he's not even 17 yet. So so he's probably, he's got to be the youngest player in the WBC. I don't know about WBC history, but he's the youngest player in the WBC. And, of course, people remember Brett Lowry was basically straight out of high school uh, playing in the WBC in 2009, um, but so Brazil. Surprised they didn't play shortstop for. That's right. So Brazil's team, to me, they're bad. They're they're going to put all they have they're into the beating three, China. They're the three seed. Yeah, because there is relegation in the WBC. The way that's it's set the up right now, part. if you go winless, if you if you win a game, at least one game, you finish in third place on your fourteen pool. You get to play in the Premier Twelve two years later. Which is kind of like they're basically that now the IBAF cycle is going to be World Baseball Classic Premier Twelve, World Baseball Classic Premier Twelve. Explain Premier Twelve if you would. It's just to the, the top twelve finishers of the WBC right. automatically qualifying. I think there, there might just be a, a essentially team tournament. It's essentially the world. It's replaced. It's what, replaced the World Cup. What formerly known as the World Cup. And they're still talking about what they're going to do with the World Cup. I think the World Cup name is going to re- go to an amateur tournament now. Because there's been the talk about, hey, you know, can you make a pre a, a really premium, younger player kind of right to to use the international term, you know, like a really kind of how the Olympics treats soccer kind of thing. Right. That's and that's what I think they're aiming for. Um, but so so if you but if you go O for the World Baseball Classic, you get relegated. You have to go through the qualifier process, as happened to Canada, as happened to Taiwan. So uh, to me, Brazil, you have to almost Barry Larkin's the manager. He almost has to decide. Am I going to 
put all my guys in, am I going to try to beat I Japan think, or Cuba or do I put it all in there and try to beat China? I think you have to play your best game, your best your best pitcher is taking them out against China and same thing for China because look, I mean, you have to have you you go into every game hoping to win it, right. but you also have to be realistic because the biggest goal out of this is to finish third. JJ, I think Japan is a team that we're all you know, this is one of the teams that we're going to be most interested in finding out more about. Um you know, do re, I mean? I know a little bit about Japanese baseball. I'm not an expert in Japanese baseball in the Japanese leagues. I do get the sense, talking to a couple scouts in the last two weeks about WBC stuff, that a uh, the quality of baseball in the Japanese leagues is considered to be down. Uh, there's not a next. It's not obvious who the next Daisuke is or who the next Yu Darvish is. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Uh, it's probably Otani or who was the other Japanese guy that Ben wrote about in that at that time. I was going to say, we've we got Masahiro Tanaka back. I mean, that's we, we do have Tanaka back, and he's very good. But I can't remember who the other young guy was that Ben wrote about who was at World Juniors. Uh, Japan had two very hard-throwing guys at World Juniors. I'll, I'll look that up during the podcast. But but they do have – but but Japan is still sending some of its best guys. They're just not guys who are thought of as and, an obvious future of major league. And the thing that stands out about Japan, like, look, until someone beats them. It, right. You know, we were talking on the last podcast how, you know, we we debated about you think that if the U.S. makes the semifinals, I think they need to make the finals to really be a successful, you know, WBC for them. Japan is the one that has, I mean, they've been not just in the finals, but they've, they're two for two. Right. Uh, the reason they're two for two, part of it is, is they've had ace pitchers. Right. The other part of it is, is that I, the best way I can put it is, is no one seems to play as cohesively together. Right. They play more cohesively together than Cuban team does, which logically should not happen. The Cuban team should be the most cohesive team here because unlike all these other teams, which really are kind of amalgamations thrown together, the Cuban national team plays together through the season at different times already. So these guys have, are used to playing together. The Japanese team always seems to come to come to this playing very well as a team, not a collection of all-stars. Yeah, it is amazing. I really, th- that's the secret to me of Korea and Japan's success in the WBC is, uh, and that's why you know Korea has the best record I think overall in WBC play over the last two because they had the one loss one year where their only loss was in the semifinal to Japan, and that was in 06 in the first one, and uh, you know and I, th- these two teams also uh, their fans have responded the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the 2009 in Los Angeles. The championship game was basically all Korean and Japanese fans, and a lot of them from Los Angeles. You know, guys who people who live who are of Korean and or Japanese descent, and it was phonomenal. It was awesome to watch. And you know, I've I've been fortunate enough. I wasn't there for that, but I have been fortunate enough to be at a Korea Japan game at the 2000 Olympics, the bronze medal game. I'll never forget it. The passion of the fans there. Uh, Korea beat Daisuke Matsuzaka, who's who was more known for in the Olympics for losing games than for winning them. He lost. Uh, we didn't lose the duel. He lost, Japan lost the game he pitched against the U.S., and they lost the bronze medal game that he pitched against Korea. And, of course, he also lost to Chris Oxpring in the 2004 Olympics to Australia, but, but I digress. Um, I do like the fact that Japan has Shinosuke Abe on this team. I remember watching him play against Team USA, the college team, when he was an amateur. He was on Japan's team. I was researching him last night. He was on Japan's uh, national teams as a high school player. With professionals, like with industrial leaguers, when he was 18, so he was kind of like the Steven Strasburg, of, and he was the number one over pick, overall pick in their draft out of college in 2001. So he was kind of like Joe Mauer in that way, left-handed hitting catcher, 
He was drafted out of college. And also this has been a guy who's been just a grinder his whole career, a very good player. And now the last few years, he's become a great mm-hmm. offensive player. Just missed the Triple Crown and MPB this year. But you know, I, I wrote about a couple of the players, but just talking to scouts, something like Kenta Maeda is the other guy that they want to see the most. Uh, live arm, good body. Something like between Maeda and well, then uh, Tanaka, like we talked about, Masahiro Tanaka, who's the other, the, the one guy in our top seven prospect from four years ago who hasn't played Major League Baseball yet. Uh, these are some of the guys that uh, you know, you, you're on the lookout for for Japan. Uh, it is. I mean, again, we've talked about it before, but we're, you know, we're sending someone and will there be a lot of scouts in Japan for this because it is kind of the you're, you're essentially watching the buffet of who who are these which of these guys are we going to see being posted in a couple of years right. and we're going to want to you know sign them and I, going back a little bit to the cohesive team I do wonder if the small ball approach works better in a series like this in a world baseball classic than it would say over a 162 game season because these are kind of amalgamations of all-stars and not right. only that it's not just amalgamations of all-stars. Because of the rules and all, you got not just pitchers coming in and out, but you're not saying, okay, this is our infield. This is our, you know, this is our right. starting eight. Right. You know, and then we're plugging a pitcher. You have different guys playing together every day in this to where I do wonder if one of the things that does suffer with that is, okay, so how are we covering this bunt? How are, right. you know, Hey, we didn't catch that that guy was you know moving up, going first to third, things like that. Here's how to me how the cohesiveness actually works the best is that in researching this last couple days, um, it's first of all it's easy to Google Japanese players in English, but also I have my little bookmarked uh, my 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 go-to Japanese sites in English, and a couple that I found talked about how some of these guys are already training. You know where they're training? They're in Guam. A bunch of these Japanese big leaguers are trained together in Guam, and here's what they're doing. They're, first of all, they're getting in shape, and second of all, they're training with the WBC ball, which is different from the ball Again, they use in the, Nippon. The best way to put it is, is they take this more seriously. That's it, seriously. and that's what I'm saying. That cohesiveness and everything goes down to their training and their the fact that they, this matters in Japan. We just were looking back to an old issue, JJ, and what was the headline that we ran? Failure of player leads Japanese scout to commit seppuku. That wasn't in the se- it suicide. It was suicide but <laughs> I don't think he actually used a knife, to be honest. But I didn't. I didn't read the story. But um, but th- it matters more. That mattered too much to that guy. But it does matter more. And uh, and the other part and that hey, I found when I was googling this real quick, I got to get this in there. That Masahiko Morifuku was also one of the things was that he would start his long toss program, distance throwing up to a. Uh, what was it? A uh, hundred meters. So, so three hundred. Yeah. So yeah, he he was he was he was no no he wasn't no it was uh no it was up to two hundred feet it was uh sixty some meters I I looked it up and it was two hundred feet so I got confused with the math in my head but so they're getting serious and they take it seriously and that's an ad, that's an hey, advantage I think for the reality of it is is that I, I know you know we like to say in the U S you know I've I've seen the argument made. The U.S. doesn't feel the need to win this tournament as much as maybe some other countries do. And But the reality is, is if you're Japan and you want to claim that not that you have the best overall talent. Right. But if you want to claim that you play the best international baseball, you, you can make arguments for other teams, too. The reality is, is that World Baseball, if you now do consider the World Baseball Classic the pinnacle, right. they're two for two. They are two for two. And, uh, you know. 
maybe I should think of that. You know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Maybe I should make Japan the favorite. I still don't anyway, right now though, because like, I don't. I don't. Uh, not in I, this one, but I do think it's novel that the only big leaguer on this whole roster is Kaz Matsui. <laughs> that, and he's not even a current me. big leaguer; it's right, a former right. big leaguer. Um, but but the fact that it's this is a changing of the guard WBC for a lot of teams. Some of the teams uh, have some real veterans, but even there, there's there's some changeover for a lot of these teams. The U.S. is going to have, I think, one of the older rosters, JJ. In the, in this World Baseball Classic, so, so let's let's go I, I to the other. There's not a whole lot on Japan, on China that can really add. But right. That, but that pool looks like Cuba, Japan, and thanks for TFCO. Let's let's do the other Asian bracket while we're while we're at it. Not all Asia, but you know yeah, we pool have Pool B. Pool we're, B. We're just going in order in order of pools as uh, as it turned out. I'll show, this is the second pool is going to be played in Taiwan. That is the host nation: South Korea, Australia, and the Netherlands. And uh, JJ, this one is wide open. I think it is wide open. Uh, wide open. I, I think let's start with Australia. They're playing for a win to not be relegated. That's it. Uh, Australia feels like it's headed for relegation, and you know, I I just feel like uh, you, you have to, when, when the press release that Australian baseball puts out basically starts off where the second paragraph is. Well, we didn't get Travis Blackley or Grant Balfour, and manager John Diebel's like, well, we'll do our best anyway you're in trouble when you're starting off with telling people what you didn't get. And they didn't get Liam Hendricks either, Josh Spence, uh, Rich Thompson, the, the pitcher who's also been in the big leagues. So like five, not a ton of Australian big leaguers, and they're five or six that they didn't get right off the bat. And That's not a good start. Really one of the things that stands out with this team is that you don't have a whole lot of pitchers who you feel good about. I mean, again, this is not going to be a start starting pitching dominated Tournament, tournament right. especially in the early rounds, because in the early rounds the pitch limits are shorter. You know, in the later rounds, then that's when having a Felix Hernandez becomes more important because you can pitch him a little longer and all. Right. But that being said, I just really I look at the 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 Australian team and I don't know if they have the pitching really to match up with those other teams in the. Essentially, what you need your starting pitcher to do is just to not bury you in the mm-hmm. WBC. So you can have a chance. To, you want when he walks off the mound, you still have a chance to win. That's it. That's the whole point of a starting pitcher in the WBC. And the fact that you that Japan has had guys like Darvish and Daisuke who've gone and given them five innings, you know, five efficient innings where you throw the other team basically off, you get them out of rhythm offensively, you get an early lead, and you can hold on. That's been their formula, and the United States formula. Uh, that's only, you know the, the method of or even Venezuela or the Dominican other teams that rely a lot on big leaguers haven't found that they haven't had that formula they haven't had that starting pitching uh, they all have good bullpens but they haven't gotten the starting pitching and then they've really had to try to get into slugfest with people um, Australia I feel like they do have pitching I always felt that like Australian pitchers have a better track record than Australian hitters JJ I guess my other thing that I wonder about with with Australia is well, the fact that a lot of these guys are playing in the Australian Baseball League, that they're going to be fresh, like winter ball, Latin American players, like you think of them, the fact that their season's really just ending kind of now. In, not even in now. Australia. Yeah, still it's going. Even, yeah, still gonna go, it goes to the end of January, does it mm-hmm. not? And then they'll have a month off, basically, but a month of training where they're going to stay hot and then play in the WBC. And a lot of these guys don't have even this jobs the, in the U.S. I was going to say, this is, the, this, this, might, is, yeah. this is your hope is – if I play well here, maybe something. If I play well happens. here, I get a free agent AAA gig or maybe indie ball or High double A. A, double right. A. 
whatever well, Luke, a you want to give me. I'm thinking of guys like Luke Hughes or right. Justin Hubach. I'm going also. Guys. I'm saying like, but I'm saying even also the guys. You know, some of the guys who you're like, who's right now resume is Melbourne Aces, <laughs> right, right, Adelaide Bite. You know, oh, yeah, things Dushan like that. Dushan Ruzic pitches in, in Europe, so he's he's yeah. he's gearing up for another season in the Italian league. Um, but yeah, if if Australia is not relegated, I'll be surprised if they win a game. Considering they're one in five all time in the WBC. Considering that outside of that 2004 Olympic silver medal, silver medal, Australia has really generally been a, a disappointment in international baseball as opposed to a team that surprises you. Um, I'm expecting them to get relegated. To me, the real battle is between Taiwan, the host, and the Netherlands. And, J.J., the Netherlands has the most interesting roster prospect-wise in the whole event, does it? Does it not? In terms of prospects who are in affiliated baseball right now? Oh, I think they're. If you said what what team do I want to watch? Yeah, yeah, I, I want to watch. I, I want to watch the Netherlands play. I mean, uh, obviously, it starts off with Profar with Jerks of Profar. Um, I mean, among ba- major league free agents, I'm interested to see which Jar Jurgens shows up for this event. Um, I love the fact that former Clemson catcher Spencer Keyboom is playing for the Netherlands. Uh, who is he? He's in the Nationals farm system. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, the guys, uh, you know, the, the prospects that we've talked about who are on this team. Uh, you know, no D.D. Gregorius, but Xander Bogarts, who's not going to play shortstop. Um, Anderton Simmons, who is going to play shortstop. Profar probably to second. It's th- those three guys make this team incredibly intriguing. Incredibly intriguing. And the other thing I, I think that they do, like – they don't have Didi Gregorius. You know what? That doesn't actually hurt them. Because no, not at all. Like, he is not – if he was an offensive first shortstop, you go, okay, well, you know, you really need to be able to have him in that lineup and play. But he's – his his main calling card is his defense. He's a fine – he's an okay hitter. Right. But Anderson Simmons is better shortstop than Didi Gregorius. And then when they won the Pan Am games in 2011, he – another Pan Am. When they, when they won the World Cup in 2011, he was their shortstop. Right. And the way they won was pitching a defense. But he's not better than Simmons, and he's not better than Profar defensively. Right, so. and so if that's the case, then, well, are you talking about playing him at first in the right. outfield? Well, then you're not getting – I'm not saying he still wouldn't be useful to have on this team because – Oh, yeah, no, he would have been useful, but I under, he, oh, he also got traded, JJ. He's in a new organization, right. too, and they to just compared him to Derek freaking Jeter. So he needs to go he, in there and, and, and be at full strength. And so I, I outfield, completely understand why he's not there. And even in the outfield, you look at it and you go, okay, well, Andrew Jones is going to be in the outfield. I mean, right. who, by World Baseball Classic standards, I know he's on the tail end of his career, but useful, especially, you know, against – Oh, yeah. No, they have three useful outfielders. Roger Bernardina, who has big league experience. I mean, you're – and then especially you say, okay, you know, again, is Bogart going to play third? Is he going to play outfield? But – Vladimir Ballantine also in the outfield. I I think he was the – If you make a mistake, he will – He's either going to DH or he's going to play in the corner outfield. Him and Andrew Jones are probably going to combine in those roles. And, you know, Vladimir Ballantine's a perfect 4A Japan league masher. He's perfectly suited for this event. Uh, and, where it's and hard to find power arms. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all, though, just say if you said Bogarts. <laughs> between Bogarts and Jonathan Scope, one of them has to uh, end up in the outfield. Yeah, or Hanley Stacia could play out there. Kurt Smith's going to be a DH first baseman. He's been very consistent, former University of Vermont player. 
very been a very consistent. He was a good indie leaguer. Been a very consistent independent. And, I mean, uh, international player for the Netherlands. This is a good. And, it's not a lineup on the caliber of the U.S. or Venezuela or the Dominican. But it's still. But it's going to be competitive. A lot of guys who are going to give you a lot of guys who either are going to give you really tough at bats or are the guys that if you make a mistake they can really punish you. For, for me, it. for them to win, for them to go to the final four, which I don't think is beyond the pale for for uh, the Netherlands to, to do that. Profar and Bogarts are going to have to be really, really good. The other thing uh, that's going to have to happen for them, which can happen, though, is they have some pitchers who really know how to pitch. Right. That's I mean, They're going to need the Rob Cornemans to come out there. And you know what? I am – scouts can put the radar gun away. I'm not going to do – you know, it's not going to be something where scouts going to see this guy and go, wow, we got to sign yeah. veteran Rob Cornemans. But He's 38 or 39. But he can go out there – and, again, if he's hitting his spots and if he just confounds guys who are looking to grip and right. rip and are a little bit aren't really comfortable yet, it's still early, very early, basically, in spring right. training for a lot of these guys, he's the kind of guy who can mess you up for a couple of oh, weeks. Oh, he's going to carve. I mean, he, Rob Quartermans is going to carve up some of these hitters who have not faced him. And the thing is, he probably has less element of surprise than maybe we would both think because he's played a massive role for the Netherlands internationally since 1998. <laughs> I mean, this guy has been around. So on the U.S. team, we didn't even tell this story in the last podcast, but one of the reasons Willie Bloomquist is on this team is, A, you need a utility guy, a 25th guy. On this, I guess it's 28th guy. You need that versatile guy at the back of a roster. Second, So that's Willie Bloomquist. That's what he is. Right. Second of all, um, Willie Bloomquist was on the 1998 college national team coached by Ron Polk. And this is when USA Baseball was really going through a transition. Professionals, had j- that was the first big international tournament to allow professionals in. Just like Japan had like industrial leaguers. And the Dutch had some pro guys. who'd been Cuban national team. So it was right, Cuban exactly. national team. <laughs> and the U.S. sent college players because Ron Polk had just retired from Mississippi State and he wanted to prove that the U.S. could still win in international baseball with amateur players which they hadn't even been winning with amateur players against the amateurs. <laughs> anyway, so they go there, and they're 3-3 they're three and three in the round robin. They have to win a game to advance to the medal round. Willie Bloomquist is a walk-off jack for them to win a game. He gets mobbed at home plate. When they get to the dugout, they get a cell phone call in 1998, you know, probably a very big <laughs> Gordon Gecko phone, and they go, oh, the other team just won. You guys lost the tiebreaker, so you don't get to go. So Willie Bloomquist was crushed, and according to Paul Seiler, He's seen Willie Bloomquist over the years, and Paul Seiler, USA Baseball Executive Director, that Willie Bloomquist has always wanted to play again for USA Baseball, whether it was in Olympics, if he had been in the minor leagues and not the big leagues. You can can save your arguments, Mariners fans. We get it. Um, But so he really was dying to play for USA Baseball. Well, Rob Cordemans was pitching for the Netherlands (laughs) in that tournament. I looked it up the other day. He was one of the pitching leaders in that tournament. That's that long story. So Cordemans has been on their national team since 1998, he was the junior college pitcher of the year in Florida in 97. He was on the Olympic team in 2000. He's on all their teams. And talking to the guys, you know, talking to their – when they won the World Cup two years ago or a year and a half ago, uh, you talk to the other players on that team or their, their pitching coach, Brian Farley, the respect that his teammates have for Rob Quarterman is so high. And Tom Stufbergen, who's been in uh, pro ball in the United States now for three, four years, who sh- threw four scoreless innings against the Dominican in 2009 WBC, just coming out of Elizabethton. You know, these guys talk about Quarterman's as a guy who the only thing he doesn't have is velocity. But everything else, life, command, uh, big brass ones on the mound, he has everything else like a big league pitcher has. So he's one of my favorite players in, in the whole world is Rob Quarterman's. 
and I, I, I would, I, I actually expect them to advance out of this. I don't think it'll be an upset if they beat Taiwan. I think they will beat Taiwan. It wouldn't shock me if they beat Korea and won the whole thing. And w- for me, the whole key is which Jurgen shows up. Do they have enough help for right. Rob Cordemans for them to, to advance further? Because I just think that the Netherlands plays with a lot of confidence. They play with a cohesiveness and that the other that Korea and Japan play. They don't have that level of talent, but they do have a cohesion, and they do have star players like Bogarts and Profar, star-type talent. And the other thing is, is that they have is, is that they have guys who, for some reason, seem to be – you see their best. Absolutely. Tom Stufbergen's best you ever see is when he's wearing – An L on his hat. Right. There's no doubt about Juan it. Juan Carlos Soberon? Same thing. Juan Carlos Soberon as a, as a U.S. pitcher in the U.S. minor leagues, he's a he shows flashes. Yep. When he was 18, he was pitching well against Cuba when he was wearing the NL on his That's hat. right. That's absolutely right. Um, th- they do something about that national team program, and we'll have a feature on them. Uh, you know, our freelancer just told me how he got – he emailed me the other day just to let me know that he interviewed Robert Einhorn, the former Yankee shortstop who's director of their program. And you know, Hensley Bam Bam Mullins is the manager of this team, Giants coach, uh, former big leaguer. And I had the coolest pair of sunglasses I ever saw at the 2000 Olympics. The remember that they were a big deal in Sydney. The ones that wrapped over the top of mm-hmm. your head and the side. Yeah, he looked good in those. He's the only dude I know. <laughs> he's the only guy I know who pulled that off. Um, JJ T- Taiwan and Korea. I mean, I guess uh, Taiwan to me. One of the guys I'm interested to see at Taiwan is is Jen Ho Seng, 18 year old high schooler. That's right. That's right. Uh, throws in the low 90s. I don't know how much he's gonna pitch. You know, I don't exactly expect that he'll be in a uh, a very prominent role, but I, I tell you this, he's a guy that scouts going to be interested to see in this. Yeah, I, I mean, he he did pitch in the cl- in the qualifier. Uh, I forget which game he pitched, but you know, none of the qualifier games for Taiwan were close. So right. this is a little bit different deal because they are the host nation uh, of this qualifier, and they really want to they want to shine. I mean, they, you know, they don't want to lose to the Netherlands on their home uh, on their home field. So. Uh, I, I wonder about what's going to happen with the, with the Taiwan club, though. Uh, to me, there's I, I almost think it'd be better for them if they weren't the home team. You know, I had just pressure for them, and uh, you know, in the past, they've been it's been an erratic national team program for right. Taiwan. Right. They, at, they've had some highs. They've had a lot of lows. Yeah. I mean, and, I, mean like, like I mean, I'm sorry, but the lowest low being, you, if you're if you are Taiwan, oh, you yeah. can't lose to China. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no reason that you should lose to China. You have a much longer history. They've lost a couple times to China. Didn't mm-hmm. they lose to China in the Olympics? Yes, in they lost the Olympi- Olympics. And then they lost in the qualifier. Yeah. That's how they got bumped into the qualifier. They lost in the actual WBC in, in 09. Went winless. So, first things first, I guess we should really, we're getting ahead of ourselves with Taiwan. First things first, win a game. Don't get relegated again. Second of all, uh, advance. And uh, on, the, on, the, on the flip side with that, Korea, I don't. I, I think that Korea is going to win. I, I don't, and the reality is, is that if you go one or two, really the big thing about these first rounds is don't be third. That's right. Don't be fourth That's is right. the most important thing. Don't be third. If you're first or second, who cares? Because you really advance, you move on, and there's really no big downside right. to being second in your – but but I do think that Korea, especially on based on past history and all, is the favorite to me still in this in this pool? And it is. I agree. And it, it just it's an interesting contrast to me between Taiwan and Korea. I, Taiwan, I think, has the better baseball reputation, even though Korea actually has the much better baseball pedigree. 
in a couple of ways. But Taiwan, I think, to the average American big baseball fan. I'm not talking about the casual, Mm -hmm. but the big who knows anything about this. You remember Taiwan coming over and winning Little League World Series. And that's where I think the reputation comes from for but, Taiwan. I mean, there's there's no other way to say it. One of the things is is that the the China Professional Baseball League yes has been fraught with you know, scandal for a decade yeah, or more. Absolutely, and that's I mean that's a big They're problem. Just getting back to like being stable and keeping four teams year after year that's a big deal for them to right. keep the same. Whereas four teams. Korea, you know, the reality is is that Korean baseball. Has been very stable and it's growing. The league there is growing. They're adding a new team, the NC Dinos, for next year, and, and they're ex- they're continuing to expand. And the best way to describe it is is the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, is not on the level of the MPB of Nippon Pro Baseball. Right. At the same time, though, the best players in the KBO have made the jump over to right. Japan, and, and they've been good. Japanese it's the best players. way to the best way to describe it is is think of the U.S. and Japan Japanese. The top Japanese players come to the U.S. and you put them in the middle of your, you know you put them rotation, you put them in your right. lineup. Not and all of them work out, but most of them. But do. most of them do. It's a very similar situation between the KBO and the MPB, where Lee Sung Yap and, and guys like that. Right. He Lee went Bay from Ho now. You know, he went from being the basically the Korean Babe Ruth is what you know, like right. he, he was the home run champ there. He still is, yeah. even though he took eight years and went to Japan for eight years in his prime. Now he's back playing in the KBO, and he came back and his team won the championship, and he was the league MVP. That was after an eight-year break in Japan. So, yeah, he's still the home run king in Korea. But Lee Dae-ho was the kind of the next guy in line, and he played shortstop in Korea. He plays first base in Japan. So the level of play is higher in Japan. He had 44 home runs in Korea. He hit like 25 in yeah. Japan. So, but that's But your point is exactly right. The best players in Korea – can play in NPB. But obviously, at the same time, you got to say, so what's missing from this team? And, and we know what's missing. I mean, if you compare them to the Yeah, Shin Su Chu and Hyun Jin Yu. That's what's missing. I mean, that's what's missing. The two best guys, basically. So um, you, they do have one of my all-time favorite players, Taehyun Chong, submarine reliever, who was uh, courted by the uh, by the Orioles. And this is not the guy who – Not, the, not the Ben Badler scandal yeah. guy, exactly. This is the submarine guy who twice matched up against the U.S. in 2000 in the Olympics in two epic matchups with uh, uh, with Roy Oswalt. And he's the guy who both times when he came out, the U.S. team would be like, why did they take that guy out? Thank <laughs> God they took that guy out. And he is still grinding. He dominates pretty much every year in the KBO. He's submarine. He's like BK Kim, but he throws but with better smarts. Less nap habits, less need for naps, and a shorter memory. Uh, a lot more success. So, uh, if you get, a, if you're going to watch this, just keep an eye out for Taehyung Chong. Uh, definitely, if I had a personal cheese ball for each country, this is your Taehyung Chong is the Rob Cordemans of Korea. Right. I guess say I still have to go <laughs> Lee Sung Yap because I remember my first my first couple of years at Baseball America back when we had like we were covering like the Korea you know yeah, on a yeah. regular basis Japan Korea that was one of my first jobs was doing the inter- was kind yeah. of coordinating the international coverage and we were running Lee Sum Yops this was back when he was in Korea the first time That's right. and he was making a run at the uh, the home yeah. run record and it's like oh man how, you know, how many he home runs like did he get 50 something one year yeah, didn't he 56 i think or something like and that and y- you know you do have uh, Jay Wong So for Mets fans he's the ace of this team and in fact the quote i saw from him the other day was that he wanted to, like, plant a sword in the logo. He had some crazy quote that I saw. I, w- I have to look that up. But he's fired up. He's like the, he, now, Lee Sung-Yop is the official team captain, but Jay Wong So is 
very much stepping into the leadership void on the mound left by Hyunjin Ryu coming to the to the Dodgers. We got to move on to Pool C if we're going ah, to. I love this pool. I love Pool B. <laughs> pool B is like my but favorite. So, pool. who are your picks for the two teams from Pool B? Korea, the Netherlands. You can't I'm pick against the same Taiwan. Thing. Oh, you no. are. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, okay. I am. No, I'm saying the same thing. I just think the Netherlands. I. I I think Rob. I agree with you. I think I, I I'm going to be eagerly watching Rob Quarterman's. You know, like in a in a pressure situation. It's like, man, how does he just keep getting out? Well, because he's Rob Quarterman's. He is. He's awesome. I love that guy. Now watch him go out there and flop. Don't flop. <laughs> I don't know how you say don't flop in Dutch, but uh, uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, Facebook friends is is that Rob Quarterman's is a Facebook friend and has responded to messages and uh, <laughs> he's fun to fun to follow from afar. And I'll, if you want to go see some cartoon numbers. Check out his Dutch Major League numbers. I think last year he gave up four runs the whole year. <laughs> He's too good for that league. But uh, Dominican Republic, J.J. Pulsi in Hiram Bythorn Stadium. I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing it right. I'm sorry. Uh, in Puerto Rico. Host Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic. I'm leaving somebody out who's obvious, who's really good. Spain? I think it's Spain. I was going to say because it's Italy, Canada, U.S. And yeah, so it's Spain, which we anticipate going 0-3, and then Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican. Let's talk about Spain this real is, quick. Let me, let me just clearly clear up as we started. This is the group of death. I agree. This is the group of death. Because in every other group, Pool B and Pool C are the ones where you say someone going home, there's going to be someone going home, if things, whatever expectations you have, someone's going to go home. You go, you know what? That team could have made it. The most obvious, or the, the easiest pool to call is Pool A yes. with Cuba and Japan. That's the cliff. There's two clear ones and two right. clear not going to make it. And this one, again, you were talking the Spanish team. Spain's fun, and that's about they're, it. If they, they're, again, they're a team going into this going, if we can win a game, yeah, that was a great tournament. I mean, if you look in this in, in this pool if they win a game pat them on the back great job i didn't even check to see if there are one spanish players back on this team i don't believe he is i think this is all passport venezuelans leslie nakar is he actually from spain he's playing in the spanish elite league i know that right but i think he's dominican yeah he might be i think he's i think he's but uh, he's i mean let's put it this way uh jesus golandando there's only two guys who play in the spanish league on this team, right. which is actually good for the team. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the you know there are players on this team who have played for the Spanish national team for years. That's why I keep on bringing up Paco Figueroa and Danny Figueroa because they've played for Team Spain for years and years. But these guys are Cuban-Americans uh, who went to the U, and, and they, they have been out of college for like 10 years. So, um, But they have played – they're less passporty than most of mm-hmm. these players because they've actually played for the Spanish national team for years and years, like in Euro championships. But most of these players are Dominicans, Cubans, Venezuelans who have a relative, a parent or a grandparent who lived in Spain at some point in their lives, and that allows them to get a Spanish passport. Their coach is Italian, uh, former Astros scout, blank on his name now, I think it's Mauro Mazzotti. Um, just getting here. They're just they're they're happy to be here. And thinking and, again, thinking a win where they don't have to be in the qualifier next time. That's right. All the bonus. But let's talk. But I don't about, think they're going to get a win. I don't think so either. Let's go. Let's go alphabetical order on the other ones: Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela. JJ, the Dominican. Uh, I believe they're at twenty right now. Uh, they really need some of their next seven to eight players they name to be some pitchers mm-hmm. because the pitching on this team right now is not going to get it done. 
The bullpen's fine. The bullpen, if they get it done, it would be because it's Johnny Holstaff every time out. That's it. And with the pitching limits of back-to-back, you can't do that. You've got to have someone who can give you those I mean, first four or five innings. In an ideal world, I could see you know, that maybe Edison Volquez has one of those days where, right. hey, he's locked in. The chances of that are about one in five. Right, exactly. It's early, especially early. Absolutely. You, know, uh, you don't think that Edison Volquez that, is going to have corkscrew his corkscrew arm action and loosened up quite enough early <laughs> I in March. Say, I don't think that you would say that he's more likely to have fine command, which he doesn't have in August. It's unlikely he's going to have that at the start of March. But, but because Alexio Gondo, according to our information, is not going to play. He's on the provisional roster, but he's not going to play. Um, but with Calvin Herrera, Fernando Rodney, Joel Peralta, Octavio Dotel, Santiago Casilla, I mean, this is a great bullpen. I mean, so if they can get, if they can get, they basically need representative. Johnny Cueto. Again, they man. need Johnny. If they Cueto. got a Cueto, if you, then all of a sudden, oh, I think if you do that, like then again, they don't even need them for the first. As much as you might need them for the first round. I would be willing if I'm going to make like, look, if we make it past the first round, yeah. can we please have Cueto? Yeah, exactly. Just for one or two starts. Just you know, give me a little Cueto. You know, I mean, because. Or Daniel Corsino. <laughs> we'll take baby Cueto, <laughs> you know. We'll take Pedro Diaz if you'll give it to us. Baby Corsino. But like, who is, but that's the thing is, who are the Dominican starters who they could get? And mm. It's just not a deep pool right now. That's just, just if you're, to me, the Dominican Republic has players of all shapes and sizes and, and stripes and creeds and whatever, but they don't. The pitchability is not what you associate. They need what with Dominican they what players. they need though. What they need more than anything is this. They need what you your your plan for the U.S. rotation. They need a knuckleballer. No. <laughs> okay. Your plan for the U.S. rotation was get Ben Sheets. You know. Get, oh yeah, yeah. They do need the Pedro. Then it's like, like, hey Pedro, we're not asking <laughs> you to. You know, you're not going to need to go out there and get it ready to go. You know, 150 innings. That was my backup plan B for the United States was to try to get Roy Oswald, Ben Sheets, and Roger Clemens. <laughs> that would have been a cool backup roster. But what I'm saying is, is you, I mean, seriously, I, I know he's probably now topping out at like 82. It is amazing though that Pedro isn't. Uh, you have to. I would have to imagine they've made that phone call, don't you? I, I I would tell them like you're guaranteed a spot on this if you'll just you know just get in shape enough to do you know give us give us three starts. We just need four innings, Pedro. We need three. We need four innings. Twelve innings total. Once a week, three times. Because I I mean I I would and and let him know that the the pity of that would have been maybe he would have done it if they'd been in the same pool with Mexico and Karim Garcia. Right. Maybe that would have motivated him. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you want to have Ramon pitch too, we'll you know we'll let you you know. I just actually saw a picture of Ramon on the Dodgers website with uh, Fernando. I mean, I'm not saying he looks like Fernando, but Ramon the years have not been kind to Ramon. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's capable anymore. Um, just put it that way. But but, uh, but this is the, this is an infield line- to end all infields. Oh, the lineup is. I, I'll put it this way. I mean, I don't think the U.S. lineup is significantly better. No, the the the, the, the U.S. Outfield, outfield. The Dominican infield is better than the U.S. infield. The Dominican outfield is not as good as the right. American outfield. But Edwin Arcanasio, you don't think of him as a star, but the guy that hit 42 you know, home runs in the big leagues last year. Um, obviously, Adrian Beltre, you know, probably best. the best third baseman. I mean, future Hall of Famer for me. He's on the cusp of being a future Hall of Famer. And, and then, he's still got five to eight years left in his career. So. Right. And then do you like Jose Reyes at shortstop or Henry Ramirez? One of those guys will probably play DH or the other. And then Robbie Cano at, at second base. So all those are right-handed hitters with the exception of Reyes as a switch hitter. And you're just throwing this monster left-handed hitting second baseman. I mean, of course, unless unless the Orioles are on the mound and then Robbie Cano turns back into a pumpkin. 
but yeah, this is that's a amazing, amazing infield. Right, uh, and that's that is, you know, that's if you say why could they win it all? Well, you just descri- described it right there. I mean, that's again, you're gonna want to see, you got to see more pitching. I mean, because they could win it all at the same time. It would not any one of these three teams we're talking about. If you told me they went home, as good as that lineup is, if they don't get more pitching, starting pitching, yeah, and you told me that they fell to Puerto Rico in a head-to-head game and Venezuela rolled through this, I could see that. But I'm, I'm looking at just, like, who, who could be the starters, Dominicans. I mean, Cueto's the, the guy they leagues. have to – Cueto's the guy who is – if they could get Cueto, that changes the entire f- makeup of that roster. You know, I'm surprised who they haven't gone out and tried to get. I guess he did have an injury issue last year was uh, Ivan Nova. There's a – I mean, I'm not saying he's ideal. But, he'd but be, just, you're just talking about Dominican starters in the big leagues. You know, Bartolo Colon pitched for their national team two years ago, kind of resuscitated his career in the World Cup qualifying tournament for the Dominican two years ago. But, you know, what's his health status, I suppose? Um, you know, I know he got suspended at the end of last year. But, you know, I'm just looking at potential starters. It's just not a deep pool of Dominican Republic natives who start in the major leagues. There's Colon, there's Cueto. Uh, Carlos Villanueva, who's really more of a starter, I mean, more of a reliever than a starter. And also, Ubaldo again, Jimenez, who's and Villanueva moving to a new team, you're, you're, again, right. you're facing that situation. That's right. Ubaldo Jimenez, who's just not very good, uh, not anymore. Really, I mean, Felipe Paulino. Uh, and it, who's it, coming out? He's hurt. You can't. Uh, Irvin Santana, new team. And coming off of a rough year, you're not going to have him. I mean, I'm telling you who they might wind up with is Ramon Ortiz, who spent all of last year. He's like 38. He spent all of last year in AAA with the Yankees. You might wind up with a guy like that pitching for the Dominican because the Dominican – I don't think clubs, when they sign players out of the Dominican Republic, are looking for pitchers that have pitchability. They're looking for arm strength. And we wrote about that four years ago at the WBC that the when we did, like, national tendencies, the biggest characteristic of the Dominican team is arm strength. And that's, that's true on really the mound. Good. That's why their bullpen's so good. And the starting pitching is not – it's not – uh, but uh, just, you just don't have a lot of Dominican pitchers in the current generation who are known for their pitchability. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, JJ, I think we've talked about in the office, Puerto Rico could go one of two ways. They could go the really young, and I, I think from the base, if, if a Baseball America guy was putting their roster together, Francisco Lindor would be on this team, or we would have asked him. Javier Baez would be on this team. Um, and then uh, who's my, uh, and then uh, Carlos Correa, the number one overall pick in this year's draft, will be there. Maybe even Jess Mel Valentin, supplemental first round picker uh, pick, uh, the short uh, who was the second baseman slash shortstop. Now they did take two young guys. They do have uh, the twins. Yeah, the twins. Uh, I always joke about this with the twins personnel. The twins just are the feeder system for the whole world tur- mm-hmm. for any world tournament. You go to a World Cup or WBC, they're twins everywhere. And, again, it is here, even with the Puerto Rican team. They've drafted very heavily from Puerto Rico. I'm, I'm almost surprised Kenny's Vargas is not on this team. But Eddie Romero's on this team, uh, you know, hasn't played above low A. And then J.O. Barrios. Eddie Rosario. I keep getting his name wrong. Thank you. Eddie Rosario. And then J.O. Barrios, their supplemental first runner this year, which is a reflection of just how little pitching Puerto Rico really right. has. I, to me, like we were talking about this, Dominican Republic and Venezuelan teams are a significant notch above so. the Puerto Rican team. I do think the Puerto Rican team has enough to where you say, you know what, you can't rule them out of, of pulling off an upset. But it will be an upset if they are the ones, if they advance. Because, again, the reality is, is that if you look at the pitching for their team, you know, we were just talking about the Dominican team, they don't have the bullpen. Right. Like, I mean, 
the Dominican team, you're saying, okay, if we can get through the first four, then after that, the bullpen's right. going to be in pretty good shape. Offensively, Puerto Rico's fine. Not to the level of the Dominican, not the level of Venezuela. But Carlos Beltran, Yadier Molina, that's a pretty good way to start a lineup. That, you, that you can build around that a little bit, Angel I'd say. Pagan, you know, uh, Alex Rios. So this outfield, very talented, athletic, should be outstanding on defense. Um, and the infield's okay, but, you know, Mike I, guess, I guess Felipe Lopez didn't hit well enough in the Puerto Rican League to make this team. Um, I look at this, and outside of Mike Aviles, I'm like, why, why don't you have Javier Baez out there? Javier Baez is probably a better hitter than any of these guys. The thing that the thing that's going to be most in, come on. The thing that's going to be most interesting about this team, though, is is is, the, is Javier Vasquez as he kind of right. auditions again for hey, you know, maybe I'm ready to come back to uh, the big leagues. And if they if they if Puerto Rico can win two games, upset either the Dominican or Venezuela, I think it's going to be because of uh, Javier Vaz, uh, Javier Vasquez, and they have to get one other great start. Kind of my pick to click on these guys actually is Hector Santiago. Hard throwing left-hander for the White Sox. He's uh, actually from New Jersey, but of Puerto Rican descent. And uh, Hector Santiago's got some stuff. He's trying to transition to a starter. Anybody who's ha- where Don Cooper's had their hands on him, th- most of those guys turn out pretty well. Javier Vasquez had some great years at Chicago, too. So um, I- I- I'm looking forward. If they win, it's going to be with guys like that. And I also love that they have, like, Nelson Figueroa and Dickie Gonzalez. Um, these kind of guys. It's the pitching, you know, Jonathan Sanchez. How far is Jonathan Sanchez's team of star fallen? You think it couldn't get worse than just being awful for the Royals and the Rockies last year? He didn't even make Puerto Rico's roster, so not a good sign for 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 Jonathan Sanchez. And, and th- four years ago, Jonathan Sanchez was the number two guy after mm-hmm. Javi Vasquez. So the state of pitching in Puerto Rico is uh, really not doing too hot. Then Venezuela, I if you said, you know, I was saying this in the in the office yesterday. I can kind of see them being. You could argue they are the favorites. You could. I, if, if, let's see how the rest of their pitching fills out. But even right but now, it's not. I, they're, it's, they're, uh, no one else in the tournament has a Felix. No. And Nobody else has a Felix. And again, the thing about it is, is get through the first round. If you, especially if you get through the, if you get into the semifinal, if you get into the semifinals, finals, the pitch limits have gotten a little bit more stronger. To, you right. know, you're stretched out a little bit to where a guy like a Felix can basically win a game by almost single-handedly. Right, right. That, that, that is the real the real shame of – well, not the only shame, but one of the real shames of this being in spring training is, you know, the greatest moment in American international baseball history is Ben Sheets, and it's it's hard to conceive. He threw a complete game. Yeah, it's not going to happen a complete here. game, three-hit shutout that's against Cuba. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen again. We'll never have that again. I mean, that's what made Ben Sheets into a, into a big name. And uh, it's, it's also a record that will probably never be broken, J.J., was Chiron Mardis throwing a seven-inning no-hitter in the WBC. Was it, wasn't it seven mm-hmm. innings? Was it a perfect game against Panama? It was either a no-hitter or a perfect game. Panama had already been eliminated, and that was a TFCO game. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be there. That was a start-up-the-bus game. <laughs> and the Netherlands beat Panama. I think the Netherlands played Panama. They were both already 0-2. They'd both been eliminated. And Chiron Mardis goes out and does a no-hitter. Be hard. We, we not, that was in the first WBC. We may never see another one of those again, because uh, now you, there's a little bit of there's at least there's relegation on the line, you know. But there, uh, I mean, you just look at the lineup. Obviously, you start with you know you've got Felix in the you know rotation. You've got Miguel Cabrera in the middle of the lineup. But it goes beyond that. I mean, you've got yeah, this team has is st- is pretty stout. I, I mean, mean yeah, you got Elvis Andrus, who probably you know is he the best shortstop in this tournament? Uh, I don't can't think of anybody better off the top of my head. Not 
Yeah, Tortilla Whiskey's down in this tournament. I mean, and I mean the put, put yeah. another way to put it is, is this. As Drupal, Reyes, I as guess. Drupal Cabrera is, you know, the other shortstop. That's right. That's okay, right. that's not bad. And then Marco Scudero, who's on the uh, – I, I want to give a tip of the cap, <laughs> not a wag of the finger. A wag of the finger to the WBC uh, for, for, to wa- Jan Gomes for not playing in this event, but tip of the cap, uh, as Stephen Colbert would say, to Miguel Cabrera and Marco Scudero, both in their third WBC for Venezuela. Those guys are – Stalwarts. I mean, like then you look at catcher. You got Miguel Montero and Salvador Perez. You right. look at Andrew they're going to both play, but you look at you know Andrew Montero, Andrew Montero. That's three big league catchers. Third base. I mean, and they're not going to both play third base, but you've got you know you've got Kung Fu Panda, you know Pablo Sandoval and Miguel Cabrera, who both can play third base. I mean, that's it's going to be a lineup that is going to wear out some pitching. Yeah, and I mean uh, the only question of the players they have now is who, who plays center field. Because I guess Gerardo Parra plays center field. No, he does right now. And I mean, and, and well, I mean, he hasn't been a big league regular. No, I know, but that, on this lineup but, right now, but Carlos Gonzalez. I, I mean, he has, but he could play center field. Martin Prado is not a center fielder, but uh, Venezuela. To me, who do you like better, Venezuela's team or the Dominican's team? Venezuela's. I like Venezuela I better mean, too. Starting with the fact that you have Felix Hernandez. That's who, the difference. You know, but I we were debating this in the office a little bit. Yes, we do just sit here talking WBC, <laughs> yeah. even. It's besides the, the two-hour podcast, right. you know, two hours of podcast. We're on this, but Anibal Sanchez to me is an excellent number two for this. Yeah, he's, I mean, he, they're, yeah. They're, I mean, that's just to me. I'm a little more frightened when you get to Carlos Zambrano or Henderson Alvarez as your number three. Both right. of those are a little much more frightening. But again, with how this is formatted, whichever one of those guys in round one, they're going to get Spain. That's right. The other two games, Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic game, you got those covered. If Carlos Felix, Zambrano you're pitching be- against the Dominican. If Carlos Zambrano can't beat Spain, then you don't deserve to win. Right. And so I, I don't – this is, to me, Venezuela, I have almost no doubt is going to advance. I feel very confident the Dominican Republic is going to advance, but I have no, almost no doubt Venezuela is going to advance, even with bad past history at times in the WBC. Yeah, and the, and the, and the Dominican was the team the last time they got – I feel like the Dominican has the uh, intangibles advantage in that – they were embarrassed last time and did not advance. And they didn't get relegated, but getting beat twice by the Netherlands, getting embarrassed a little bit, I feel like that is motivation for the Dominican that maybe some of the other teams don't right. have. Right, but that's also – you also can point out that that's bad track record because their lineup, they should, there's right. no way they should have lost. Hey, Cano and Haley Ramirez were on that team last time. So right. I think but, Adrian Beltre was too. But the thing that I, I look at it is, is that, again, I, I think when you match this Venezuelan team up, we haven't gotten to Pool D yet, but – <laughs> and we're 57 minutes in. <laughs> um, but if you look at this team and you match it up against the U.S. team, you know, we we had a debate. You would rather have the U.S. You said – I like the U.S. team a little bit better. I do. I actually like their starting pitching better. Not They don't have Felix. That's the – to me, I like the starting pitching. I like the U.S. bullpen because, a lot. Right. I like the starting pitching of the Venezuelan team better because, to me, again, the key thing being that the number three starter – is much less important to me with how the format of this is. Sure, I buy that. Than having two really, you know, two very solid. They have I a better that. one, and their two is at least as good to me. I take Chris Medlin myself over. Uh, uh, Chris Medlin yeah. is I'd better take Chris last Medlin year over Anibal Sanchez, right. but it's but still it's very comparable. And teams. then the number three starter again, because of how the format is. Last right. week in the, the last weekend the semifinal final you're not going to need number three. I will. I'll say again the Venezuela beat the United States twice in the last time in, in, in the last WBC. Um, the one thing I'll also throw in for the Dominican, I, I I think it is almost a little bit of a shame that there's no big poppy 
Big Poppy to me is like Mr. Dominican baseball now. And I, my favorite WBC moment of the first two WBCs is when he had that argument with Ariel Pestano of Cuba. He hit the home run, had the epic bat flip as he stared down Ariel Pestano, who's my all-time anti-cheese ball. <laughs> and then, uh, and then so Big Poppy, the 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 verbal jousting with Ariel Pestano, then the home run and the epic bat flip. One of my all-time favorite WBC. Let moments. me just say, I will miss. That era of Pastano's not in this, though. It's, You're right. Because I will he's miss. He's the guy you because, love to hate. Oh, no doubt. He's the he Bill Lane beer of international he baseball. He the most. I mean, and I know we're look. If you're if you're still listening to us, you're you're in there with us. You know is that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's that Ariel Pastano. It, I've never seen a guy more like you could tell like his teammates hated him. Like, yeah, you could. You're like, shut up, Pastano. But that was what he did. He was a catcher basically pulled right out of the 1920s. Yeah, he was like A.J. Pierzynski times, times a 10. thousand. Yeah, I mean, like really I mean we're time. talking about yeah. like basically going back to like when the nicknames for players were like dummy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, this he is. Was a, he's a, John McGraw would have loved Ariel Pastano on his team. They would not have spoken all year, <laughs> but he would have loved Ariel Pastano. That, he was a, he's a throwback player and uh, – uh, we will miss Ariel Pastano, just and we will miss uh, Pedro Luis Lazo. Oh, and Pedro Lazo in the different sense in that you just have to tip the cap to the basically the Pedro, Luis, t- Pedro Lazo. Luis Lazo is not the Lee Smith of Cuban baseball. Lee Smith is the Pedro <laughs> Luis Lazo of American baseball. The thing is, like we, we, well, we Pedro Luis Lazo should have been the last player. There just should have been an honorary golf cart to take him from the bullpen to the <laughs> I mound. I still can't believe he's not pitching in this situation. I, I can't either because he pitched in Mexico this year. But he's you, retired I mean, in Cuban even baseball. Even if you just told him, you know what? Look, we know you're 400 pounds now. <laughs> just just we're going to need you for an inning at some point. You know he'd be able to dial it up. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'd be 91 would be there. It would be 98 like it used to be, but 91 would be in there. Okay, so pull Pool D. D. <laughs> pool D. Jason. We are loving this, by the way, if you can't tell. Yeah, pull D. Uh, Canada, Italy, Mexico, United States. We've obviously already talked United States. Where do you want to start in this one? Let's start with Italy. Okay. Let's start with let's start with the team that uh, again is is going for just win a game, please. No, no, we've we've we have lavished a lot of praise on the Netherlands in this podcast. I will say that as successful as the Netherlands has been in international baseball, I think Italy has won three straight Euro championships, and they dominated the 2012 Euro championships. So. And when the Netherlands doesn't have their American minor leaguers, like their Curacao, ABC Islands players, Italy usually wins. Mm-hmm. And because no, I think I think that the Italian league is probably a better league than the Dutch league. It, it seems like I, I really I, I've never asked a scout that question as to which is better. But it, I've know, asked I, players. I yeah, the players. I've asked, like, I've the asked players a couple of players. Better. I haven't asked anyone. I, I you would have to. It's a very small subset if you're finding the players who played, who who've played in both Italy. in Italy and the Dutch Major League. But I've had players who've looked at both of them. Right. I can tell you there are more ex-big leaguers or those kind of guys in Italy than there are in the Netherlands. Right. I think partly because if you said, hmm, where would you want to play? I mean, right. from, every, live, from yeah. every description, playing in the Italian League is a nice kind of cush job. I mean, if you are a good enough player right. to be kind of one of the stars of there, you're playing once. You're playing on the weekend. A couple, couple times a week, basically. You it's got like a two, nice villa. two to three games a week. Not a lot else, and it's Italy. I right, mean, it's exactly. kind of a nice, you know. It's no one, gig. You've never heard anyone saying that, like, man, i got to go really buckle down to go play in the Italian league. What do you think of Italy's passport, guys, JJ? I, I, I see I left a period off of the end of a sentence here, which is going to drive me crazy, but... Jason Grilly, Anthony Rizzo, Nick Punto, Frank Cervelli. What, what, what do you, Chris what do you think? That's right, Chris Colabella. 
What, what do you think? I, I don't think he – oh, no, he didn't make my preview. What do you think of uh, Team Italy? I mean, they're stronger. I know I have it. They have a chance to this win a game. This is a representative team. This yeah. is not This is not a team who's coming over here just basically – I'll put it this way. Compare them to Spain. Right. I think this is a this is a team that has a much better chance to win a game. I don't see – I mean, <laughs> if uh, – again, much as we talked about with Japan and Cuba – if the U.S. does not advance out of this round, that's just... That's an epic fail. That's horrendous. It is. You know, and the reality is is that I, I really look at it like, I mean, I don't want to, you know, we're talking about Italy right now, but if they win a game, they are the team. They are the four seed here, I think, pretty clearly. Right. But the one thing getting into that, though, is, is that the Mexican team is better. But, I mean, I guess kind of to link these two in together a little bit, there's so much turmoil going on right now that I could see that being a much less cohesive team than Team Italy. Right. The Mexican team is interesting. Uh, basically, it sounds like, I forget the lieutenant colonel's name, but the lieutenant colonel who is in charge of FEMEB, the Federación Mexico Baseball, he uh, does not get along in any way, shape, or form with the president of the Mexican League. And there's a pissing match going on between these two entities. And the FEMEB president, who, again, like I said, is an Army lieutenant colonel, has cast in his lot with Adrian Gonzalez. And basically, those are the guys who called, and they decided we're going to try to find Mexicans and Mexican-Americans who play in Major League Baseball. And we're going to shoot for the moon and try to have uh, this level team, not a AAA team. And the thing about it is, is that there, so far, there have been a success in the fact that they now have, this is the most Major League-heavy Mexican international team we've ever seen. Yeah, you look at this roster, you've heard of all these guys. You you have heard of every single one of these guys. Now, we have Miguel Gonzalez on their roster. Uh, the Baltimore media today is reporting that he's not going to play. He's on the provisional roster, but he's not going to play for Mexico. Um, but you know all these guys. And the biggest get they got so far to be, J.J., is David, uh, Danny Espinoza. Because they have a shortstop. Not only a shortstop, but a shortstop of power. But that has been a problem for Team Mexico in the past. That's, a, that's an international Ramiro Pena was going to be their guy, and this guy's a lot better than Ramiro uh, Pena. And that's an international problem in general. Right. Is that a lot of teams, it's like, can you that's, find the, mil- not the middle guys? That's why the Netherlands is such an uh, anomaly, and they have too many shortstops. Uh, the United States doesn't have enough shortstops. Uh, so Mexico having two shortstops, basically, in Ramiro Pena, who can pick it, and then Danny Espinosa, who can actually hit and play shortstop. Uh, nice, bo- nice bonus. I thought Mexico's team... Looked a lot better than I expected it to. Oh, I think right now, like, this is a team. The, the best way to put it is, is this is the, if you wanted to map out to me how the U.S. could go home. Yeah, if they could go one and two, they could lose to Canada and Mexico. Because, you know, I mean, map it out. Okay, right now you could say Giovanni Gallardo is going to pitch against the right. probably going to pitch against you. Right. You could you could play it differently. You could say, you know what, Gallardo's going against Canada. Or you could also see, you know, right now they're waiting medical clearance. They could get Jaime Garcia. If Jaime Garcia of the Cardinals comes Either there. one of those guys. Now, again, first round, 60 pitches, I think it is. So you're not talking about that they're going to go. I think it's 80. Eight, I think I it's 80 down from 85. But, but either way, the point you're is. Not talking about, you're not going to talk about them going. We're not talking eight about seven innings. or eight yeah. start exactly. The point is getting that good start. And you would imagine it would be Gallardo because the U.S. lineup, as we commented yesterday, is very right-handed. But if you get, if get Gallardo on the right day, and then you hand it over to a bullpen that, while not, I mean, it doesn't compare to the U.S. bullpen or, or a couple of the other bullpens, but there are enough guys here you say, you know what, yeah, that guy could. I mean, Sergio Romo is exactly. very capable of going one, two, three in an inning. I mean, you never know with Oliver the Oliver Perez. You never, you never know what you're going to get with a Savage. And then they have two hard-throwing lefties in Perez and Gonz- Mike Gonzalez. 
Fernando Salas could get. I mean, you've got you've got guys who the yeah. real problem you have is is can they even fill out a twenty eight man roster? And to me, the other the other other than Jaime Gar- Garcia, the other guys they gotta have now are the Hairstons, Jerry and Scott Hairston, whose father and grandfather both played pro ball in Mexico. Uh, I think both Harrisons have played for Mexico already in World Baseball Classic play. So they've got to get Jerry and Scott Harrison on this team to basically have a representative nine-man lineup of big leaguers. But if they do. And then, of course, they have Karim Garcia. You know, I don't know him. I don't respect him. So I, my Aaron Fitt impersonating Pedro Martinez, I always think of that when I see Karim Garcia. Um, and we'll see what's left in Jorge Cantu's tank. But he's been, I think, on all three uh, WBC teams for Mexico. So – if Mexico can fill out those last six, seven, eight spots with some representative big leaguers slash AAA players, I, I think Mexico's dangerous. But, this but is the best the Mexican thing, team in the WBC. The thing about it is, is that what we just talked about, though, like and their manager, by the way, is uh, Vinny Castillo. Don't forget but that. The rule is such with this that the rules that are being put out for the Mexican league that's saying, "Hey, if you play in this, you're right. not playing here." The if problem play, is, is you, they you, may not, they may not get 28 players, right? Because Okay, they pretty much have exhausted. They they could fill out some U.S. minor leaguers, maybe. That's what they're gonna. I think what they're gonna have to find are guys who are Mexican Americans who have played in the minor leagues. But, and but you're like not talking drilling down like the Freddie Sandoval's, the former Angels prospect, right? Efren Nieves, these kind of guys. Because you, you're not gonna get the Mexican league players. It looks right. like, and you're not gonna get the indie leaguers. A lot of those because they want to play in the Mexican. They don't want to. Their off. aspiration is to play in the Mexican right. league. Yeah, so, you're right. I mean, the only way I would see them getting those guys is if Adrian Gonzalez goes to Dodgers ownership and says, hey, you guys are spending money like crazy. I need to promise this guy that he will have a job in the Dodgers farm system after he plays for Mexico. Don't be surprised, JJ. <laughs> don't be surprised. Okay. Oh, Canada. Moving on to Canada. Speaking of teams that don't have – speaking of having a hard time finding a shortstop. That's really the uh, the gaping hole on this team. I mean – Kale Org and Jonathan Malo are your shortstops. I, I really think Russ Martin offered. Russ <laughs> Martin might be a, a good option. I, see, I would play Kale Org there, hit him ninth, and just let him pick it because he can play defensive. The funny thing is, is that they actually need on a twenty-eight man roster. They need to carry a third defensive shortstop because they do because they're gonna have to pinch hit. The much idea every time. being that you know what, we're never gonna let any of you guys hit in a situation that matters because we well, can I mean, find they do we have can find. Or. They do have Pete Orr who can slide over there. And you have Taylor Green at second base. You have Laurie at third. So you have Pete Orr as your super utility guy. So what you say is, is What okay. I'm saying is I'm starting Pete Orr. I'm starting his 35-year-old self at shortstop. And I just want to know, where is Skylar Stromsmo? I can't believe Skylar Stromsmo is not on this team. But obviously we Very have to start with, uh, to me, one of the most interesting guys in this entire term is, is it's going to be fun to watch. I'm, I'm going to get to see it in person, hopefully, Jameson yeah, the, Tyone. The Jameson Tyone story is that they didn't get Oscar Tavares, but they got Jameson Tyone, J.J. And uh, and I think actually in, in a situation like this, you want to have both. But you know what? I, I think Tyone, they needed Tyone more for what he does for their pitching staff maybe than if you say you can only have one. Right. I mean, their outfield is going to have only one big leaguer in Michael Saunders. And but I do think that it. their lineup is okay. It is okay. I mean, it's, this is the ultimate 4A team. That's who these guys are. Adam Lowen's a 4A player. Tyson Gillies, he's probably a 4A guy. Tim Smith defines 4A. I mean, like, I love Tim Smith. He's the uh, the ultimate grinder. He's always hit. Uh, hit at Arizona State. Andrew Albers. Andrew Albers is, oh, he's a little better than that. And he's the Tim, Tom Stufbergen of, uh, of Canadian pitching. He's a... He's a big game Andrew uh, when it comes to this stuff. So, hero of the Pan Am games. Um, but, yeah, for this team to beat the U.S., it's going to take, you know, 
to me, he's going to take Jamison Tyone on his on his A game. I, I don't even know that they would start Jamison Tyone, but wouldn't you rather start Jamison Tyone against the U.S. than than uh, Sean Hill? Well, see, see, this is where <laughs> this is where a manager really gets you know tearing their their not so big bucks for managing the World Baseball Classic. You have to decide if you're Canada, okay? And this may you, right, you, do you even try to beat the U.S. Do you do you aim at beating the U.S. Because really, in the in the grand scheme, if you if you beat Italy, which you should, right, and then you beat Mexico, you're you've in. advanced on. That's really that that is that is the question for Ernie Witt, uh, the team Canada manager. And it's the same question you're going to face in Mex for Mexico too with Vinny Castilla. Is okay. Do I gear everything to finishing second, where I don't, where I put my, because if you do that, I mean the. It's a risky gamble, but you could say I'm going to put my best pitcher against Canada. I'm going to put my second best pitcher against Italy, Italy to make sure, you know, I mean, it's an all-in gamble because the thing about it, the problem is, is if you lose one of those games, then you're really just done. But if you did that and then you put your third best pitcher against the U.S., does that maybe give you a little bit better chance of advancing on? That's fascinating. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're probably right. The thing is, because Italy's good enough that you can't just say we're going to roll the ball out there and beat them. I do think if you for Canada, Mexico, and Italy, all three of them are looking at the United States. I don't think you want to get crushed out there. You don't want to get run rolled or mercy rolled. And the U.S. isn't so much better. But so I think you want to throw a right-handed pitcher. You want to make Teixeira and J. Roll and the switch hitters beat you, Ben Zobrist. Uh, you want to make those guys beat you. Um, but but so so for Canada, that means you don't throw Andrew Albers. But then do you throw Tyone, or do you throw Sean Hill, or do you throw Scott Richmond? I mean, what do you do? That, that, that's a fascinating question. I think for Mexico, it's, it's simple. I think you have Giovanni Gallardo, and you say, we're going to try to beat the United States because we have Giovanni Gallardo. That's what I would do. Because if, for one thing with that is, is that Gallardo, you can legitimately say, we know that Gallardo that's can. Right. And also against Canada, you want to throw a left-hander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you do. You want to throw That a works left-hander. out well for them, yeah. So for them – um, you maybe you roll out Ali Perez to start if you have Jaime Garcia. Maybe their decision is a little bit easier. For Canada, the decisions I think really tougher because you don't have a true ace. Sean Hill, kind of I- looking at their roster and knowing how they've how they've played past international tournaments. To me, Sean Hill's to their me, ace. but maybe it actually works out well for them too, and that you can say with that, you know what, Sean Hill's going to go against the U.S. Right. Which and that so we're means, throwing our big leaguer, and so Tyone, we're throwing our best pitcher, Tyone against Mexico. So and that works out in that you're not tanking either of those games. So then, okay. So is it Scott Richmond going up against Italy? Uh, Andrew Albers. You got to throw Andrew Albers. Yeah, Come I, on, this is guys your money guy. Uh, t- again, my cheese ball player for Canada is Andrew Albers. So uh, I'm actually JJ. I'm picking the United States and Mexico out of this pool. And I thought I was going to pick Canada, but I'm impressed by Mexico's. Uh, but I, I think this is very I, bunched between two and three, Mexico and Canada. Oh, I think this up. is again. I'm excited. I mean, this is going to be a fascinating. Uh, you know, a, a fascinating field this, in this pool. I I want to say, can I get back to you? Because the no. team, I'm not. I'm going to make a pick. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that this could change so dramatically on what when we go from what our current preliminary rosters. If you had Jaime Garcia to Mexico, it's an easy it's an easy call for me. I, I think so. I, I mean, think- that that makes it easy. If you say Giovanni Gallardo and Jaime Garcia are your top two pitchers, right? Canada does not match up against that. They just don't. Um, but, but that being said, you have the turmoil going on in Mexico. You have the Canadian team 
has higher highs. That's right. The the Team Canada highs of world international competition are higher. I think I think the whole reason that Mexico and Femme Bay decided to do what this this path that Adrian Gonzalez as our captain and we're going to get Mexican American players is because they tried the Femme Bay, I mean the uh, the the Mexican League approach in past tournaments and it hasn't worked. And they Mexico was not competitive with its own minor league players during the Pan Am Games in 2011. They just weren't competitive. They were the host nation. It was in Guadalajara, and they got smoked, and they did not win. They didn't even oh, compete, I, and this is why no, they've gone this other I direction. I think this approach, you have to – I think it's the better approach. A much, it's a it's much better work. team. I think it's Now, what work. you need to have, though, is, is you need to have kind of everyone get together and go, you know what? We're willing to give you because, exactly because the thing that the Mexican League can give to fill out this is is we talked about Giovanni Argardo and Jaime Garcia, the Mexican League is full of crafty guys right. who don't you know they're 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 basically Rod Cordomans. My I mean, favorite guy, that's right. My favorite guy used to be Pablo Ortega. He was my Mexican uh, cheese ball, but he was a former uh, Rays farmhand back when they were the Devil Rays. He was one of their first prominent prospects in the late nineties. And I think he got out of the big leagues briefly, but he pitched in the Mexican League for a long time. And he's enjoy editing his stats on the Almanac every year. So we have two uh, podcast questions. And, of course, because it's a deep, hardcore podcast, they're from Joe LaCates and Roger Munter. Uh, Roger wants to know, no Buster, Kane, or Mad Bum, but notice nearly entire Giants bullpen is on WBC rosters. If only a Greek team for George Contos. Roger knows his audience. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Roger, if you were planning to make sure that your tweet got uh, answered, you did well. That's right. But, but you know, he does bring up a good point. You know, the Brewers, uh, the Twins, and the Giants are three of the organizations that are really hit hardest by WBC players. JJ, do you think it will affect a team like the Giants that for their 2013 season, they're defending a World Series championship, but that Sergio Romo, Jeremy Affelt, Sergio Castilla, uh, Santiago Castilla, uh, Javier Lopez, all these guys, their top four guys at the back of their bullpen in the World Series last year, they're all pitching in the WBC. Do you think that will affect their major league season at all? No. And the reason I say this is, like, I saw a good, someone made a good comment about this. With the rules as they are now and with the schedule as it is, these guys aren't – now, they're going to pitch more important innings, but they're not going to get much more work than they would if they were over, you know, just in camp. Right. So I don't think that it's – I mean, I know that there's been arguments before, oh, look, these guys, you know, had a worse year after pitching the WBC. Well, part of that is is I, I do think there's some logic that guys make the WBC because they had really good years the year before. Right. And if you had – if R.A. Dickey is not as good this year as last year, that's not necessarily because that's R.A. Dickey point. played in the WBC. It's probably because R.A. Dickey, who has now a 15-year pro career – had his best year by far last year. And as, and as MLB uh, Public Relations tweeted out yesterday, I retweeted both these. Only two of the 73 players who were on 2009 opening day roster, opening day disabled list, played the WBC, and one of them was an ulcer. One of them was a non-baseball injury. So it's really a one big leaguer who got hurt in the WBC and as a result of that was on the disabled list. Which and that in, can happen in spring training too. Right. And in 2009, in April 2009, after the WBC, 17.8% of non-WBC players spent time in the disabled list versus 9.5% of those who did play. So I, I do think there's some myth making out there about the WBC equals injuries. Joe LeCage said, uh, also tweeted, uh, who plays short for the Netherlands and is that the most exciting infield of the tournament? 
I don't know if it's the most exciting infield because that Dominican infield is ridiculous. It's, it's not the, the one best. I want to it's watch. Not, I was gonna say I think it's most exciting because we know what the Dominican infielders are. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's Robinson, what I love. I know. just love to watch Adrian Beltre and Robinson can right. play defense. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. But if you said exciting, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, while we've gotten to see Anderson, but you know, well, for one, I, I would love to see Jerks and Profar anywhere, but. Seeing playing a different position, even a little bit more interesting. You know, right. seeing Xander Bogarts at what may be his long-term position, interesting. But right. No, I think that that is the most interesting infield out there. I just don't think that it, that doesn't mean it's the best. It's uh, but it is, but from an exciting standpoint, it is. So, I, I do think that the, the the questions tell us this is the hardcore of the hardcore podcast, but. Uh, that doesn't mean that we aren't going to keep doing them. <laughs> so, no, so I mean we did these last time. I remember we, we would. The we, after they played the game in, in the games in Asia, we would come we in would, here first thing in the morning, and we were like racing to the office, we were like geeked. you know, okay, we got to talk about Iwakuma tonight. You know, and, you know, <laughs> pretty I mean, much that was it. So, I, I can still remember. I, we actually had the podcast nook back then. I'm pretty sh- confident that was when we just we just we moved just got the podcast nook. Looking forward to uh, more World Baseball Classic podcasts. We'll have to so. do these on Skype this time and awesome. Yeah, I guess so, because you're going to be in Arizona. I didn't even think about that. JJ's going to Arizona for the first leg of the WBC. Ben Battler's going to Japan. I'm going to San Francisco. Talk about pulling rank. Yeah. I'm going to San Francisco. <laughs> hey. um, so, Phoenix, uh, San Francisco, Japan. Actually, Japan is a pretty awesome. It's a good trip. I, I think I'm getting the, the – uh, I'm quite happy to because I'm going to see some You're getting the short end of the stick travel-wise, though. But we are excited <laughs> about the WBC, Phoenix. and uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast, lengthy though it may have been. For JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.